Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Primal Potential is about you. Your ability to change is not defined by yesterday and doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Your transformation is now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Today, we're going to do something we haven't done in a very long time. I want to share with you part of a chapter from Chasing Cupcakes. Chasing Cupcakes is my first book. Um, I say that like the second one is out. It's not, but it is well underway. Uh, A lot of you guys have read Chasing Cupcakes. And if you haven't, go check it out. But I want to emphasize first how important it is to come back to tools that are effective. Okay? Because even if you've already read it, I don't want you to skip this episode. Here's why. What I do for myself is I keep notes on my phone of resources that are helpful to me. And then I put like keywords there. If I was feeling this or in this situation, this is what I would maybe type. And I want this particular thing to come up in those moments, right? I keep these documents for myself so that when I am struggling, I have those resources. The truth is, most of us, if not all of us, have been exposed to so many helpful things in our lives that we would really not have to ever feel stuck again if we had an easy way to access those things. Most of us don't though, right? Most of us, I've I've explained it this way. Imagine if you were a refrigerator repairman and you didn't have any kind of documentation of how to fix this issue and that issue and always check this before you check that. If you treated every broken refrigerator like it was the first time you'd ever seen it and you had to start from the beginning troubleshooting and whatnot, you would not make a lot of money and you would not get a lot of repeat clients because you'd waste a lot of time. Somebody, whether it's a refrigerator repairman or a plumber or a computer fixer person, they have processes so that they learn from their experiences and they keep track of things. So let's say they go to a training and at that training, they realize they're, they're told the top three reasons that people call for refrigerator repair, right? They would want to have easy access to that so that they could start there with every service call. If they just heard it and then moved on from it, they'd be screwed because, again, they'd be treating every single job like it was the first time they ever solved that problem. Now, that sounds crazy. No plumber, refrigerator repairman, computer repair person would ever operate that way because it would be totally inefficient. And yet, so many of us operate that way, right? How many times in your life have you been frustrated or overwhelmed? Wouldn't it be cool if you had a resource of all the things that have ever been helpful to you in moments when you've been overwhelmed. That way, when you feel that that overwhelm, you can go to that resource and pick from the things that have been helpful to you before. So I essentially have kind of created that for myself. Now, 
it would only work for me. My resource wouldn't necessarily work for you because what resonates with you is going to be different from what resonates for me. But today I had this situation where I got admittedly over-emotional about something that was really unimportant. And I was feeling frustrated. And and I guess the best word is the one I just used, over-emotional. So I opened up my notes app, which is where I keep these little resources for myself. And I searched over-emotional in my notes app. And one of the things that came up was chapter 12 of Chasing Cupcakes. So even though I've read the book, I don't know, 50 times by now because I wrote it and I've read it repeatedly and I read it for the audiobook and all of those things. I sat down with it and I started to read and I was like, holy crap, this is so helpful. And I decided I'm going to share it with you guys because even if you've read it twice, three times, four times, it can be just as helpful, sometimes even more helpful, the fifth or the sixth or the seventh or reading it when you need it. Because let's say that you've read it once. Let's, let's, let's give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's say you've read it twice because you're just like an overachiever. If you weren't frustrated or you weren't, in my example, over-emotional when you read it, then this might not land with you as deeply as if you read it when you really need that part, when you're in a moment of being over-emotional, Right? And that's why I think it's so valuable to revisit resources because if I'm having just a great day and I feel really in control, maybe I, I like the chapter. It was a good chapter. I underlined a bunch. But if I use that resource, if I turn to that resource when it's like not such a great day, it might be 10 times more helpful, more valuable. So that's what I do for myself. I do it for things that motivate me, things that cheer me up, things that uh, build my trust or my confidence, things that build my faith, whatever. So today I go to my notes app and I type over emotional and I'll just give you the give you the scoop. I was over emotional because I was on the phone with the owner of the storage unit company. They had tried to remove our storage unit multiple times and they couldn't because the ground was too soft because of the weather. And when he called today, he was... To my, to my personal standards, which might not be his or yours or anybody else's, he was really aggressive. And honestly, it's funny I say this word because not many people have ever really made me feel this way. He was intimidating. Like he was kind of, he was a jerk. Um, and I don't know if it was just the day, the phase of my pregnancy. I don't know. I got like really upset about it. And I started crying and I called Chris and I'm crying. And, he, and Chris, even when we were on the phone, he's like, you need to stop. Like this is, this is not worth you being this upset. He's hundred percent right. But of course I get off the phone and I'm still crying and I'm trying to move on to other work. But my mind keeps coming back to this thing. I don't know if you can relate to that, which is when I grabbed my phone and I searched and it came up. So here we go. Ready? Even if you've read this a hundred times, I'm telling you, I have too, things hit us in different ways at different times. And even if this is you evaluating it, does it need to go on a resource list of yours for something? Might be over emotion, might be something totally unrelated. So this is chapter 12, and I might skip around a little bit of Chasing Cupcakes. The title is Become a Solution Person. And it begins with one of my all-time favorite quotes by the poet Rumi. Also my dog's name, Rumi the poet came first, of course. If you didn't know that, go back to the beginning. <laughs> anyway, the quote says, out beyond ideas 
of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. I love that. Like, let's meet up far past the notion of who's right and who's wrong, right? I love that. The world needs that right now. Anyway, here goes the chapter. I've heard it said that if you share a problem more than twice without taking action to fix it, you aren't looking for a solution. You're looking for attention. That stings a little, right? It stings because it's true. In our attempts to create change, we give too much energy to the problems in our lives and not nearly enough energy to creating solutions. Though it can be uncomfortable to admit when you're doing this because it pokes at your ego, the awareness of the pattern, when we recognize this pattern that we're giving more energy, more time, more thought, more emotion to the problem than the solution, when we recognize that pattern, it gives us an opportunity to change. It makes change easier. And then I say in the chapter, remember back in part one where we talked about customer service being an inside job and we explored the way that staying in the sensing part of the problem keeps us from moving into solving mode? In this chapter, chapter 12, Chasing Cupcakes, we will explore strategies and tools for noticing when you're more committed to the problem and the solution, as well as tactics for shifting your energy and your attention to implementing effective solutions. And then I confess, no surprise, you guys know me. I'm talking from experience here. I caught myself in this uncomfortable, unproductive trap not long ago. The problems I was experiencing were very real, but the solutions were real too. I was just giving way more energy to the problem than the solution. Not surprisingly, solutions don't create themselves while we complain about the problem. Then I tell this story, which I might abbreviate. We'll see. It says, in mid-2017, I decided to have a tiny house custom-built in Utah and delivered to me in Massachusetts. It was scheduled to arrive just two days before Christmas, and I was super excited to start a new adventure and a simpler, happier chapter of my life. I invested a lot of time and energy and money into this new home, tiny as it was. I thought the experience would teach me about simplicity and the important things in life, but it taught me a lot more than that largely because of a host of unexpected problems. Without a doubt, this is one of the most challenging experiencing experiences of my life to that point. In hindsight, I've had a lot bigger challenges since then, so careful. Careful what you call one of the biggest things of your life. The problem started before I even took possession of the house. One night, the driver of the truck that was moving my home to Massachusetts, so he's got my house hooked up to his truck, he called me while I was out to dinner with my boyfriend and his family, which is now Chris, my husband. The driver, when he called, he was furious. He was so mad. He was like shouting that the builder had given him the wrong dimensions for the house. So the transport permits were all wrong. And he was breaking the law by even being on the road. And in case things needed to get like more contentious, he ripped off all my home's exterior lights while driving through a toll booth because, again, the dimensions were wrong. So I'm sitting there at this restaurant. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Like, no, really, what, what do I do here? Your permits are wrong. The dimensions are wrong. My exterior lights are off. You are not in Massachusetts. I am. What do we do? And that, that was only the beginning. I thought I would be relieved when the house finally got to Massachusetts, but we hadn't even scratched the surface of the issues with the house. And for months, 
Seriously, months, new problems unfolded every day. The plumbing was backpitched, so it had to be replaced because, like, the water and sewer stuff wouldn't drain. A large appliance had not been properly secured. I'm pretty sure it was the washer-dryer combo when I think back. It hadn't been properly secured when the home was being moved from Utah, so it fell forward while the home was being moved, damaging the walls, the floors, and two different door frames. The media center was built so poorly that it had to be torn out altogether. The heating system they installed didn't work when temperatures fell below 30 degrees. And as I said, this is winter in New England. (laughs) A little bit of a problem. The shower tiles were cracked. The windows didn't fit the window frames. And the hot water didn't run into the kitchen. I documented over four pages of problems, some of them big, some of them small. And guys, <laughs> thank goodness. I mean, maybe if I went back and listened to 2017 podcasts, I would have been talking about it all the time. I don't remember talking about it all the time, but I definitely did to people in my life. I complained about it nonstop to anybody who would listen because I wanted to be validated, right? I felt so wronged and I felt taken advantage of. And honestly, The sympathy felt good. Getting people to agree with me about how wrong it was felt good. I was focused on being right instead of getting it right. I was angry and I didn't want to be anything other than angry. Being right required that I prove the builder and the driver wrong. But being right wasn't in any way related to actually solving the problems. So basically I was wasting time, energy, and emotion on something that didn't solve my problems even though that's really what I wanted. Ultimately, Even though the sympathy felt good and the commiseration was better than not having commiseration, what I really wanted was solutions. And the more I talked about the problem, the more upset I got. Keeping my attention on the problem made things a lot worse and it poured gasoline on the problem and then on the the fire of negative emotion. And I say in the book that one of the things I teach in my Breaking Barriers e-course is that the lifespan of emotion is only about 90 seconds, right? So any emotion that you feel, its lifespan is only a minute and a half. From that initial burst of anger or sadness or joy, that emotion has made its full and complete run through your nervous system in 90 seconds or less. So that makes us kind of wonder, why do we feel emotions for so much longer than that? Why is it that you can feel angry or frustrated for days or weeks or some people for like years, decades? Because... We keep the emotions alive with our attention. The only way, the only way to keep them alive is with your attention. Your thoughts, your words, your attention makes these emotions keep on keeping on. When your eyes are on the problems, they're not on the solution. So I go back to the story here. One morning after discovering a new problem with the house, I told Chris about it and he was mad. He just went off about like what a nightmare this was, how negligent the company was in the construction of the home and how I had wasted all this time and money. And like any good hypocrite, I got mad at him for responding that way. All I really wanted at that moment were solutions and he was just angry. You know, he was just on the problem like I had been. I really wanted to tell him to help or shut his mouth, but I couldn't because I realized I had been doing the very same thing for months. I mean, why was he so mad? He was mad because I had been making everybody around me mad about this thing for like weeks, months. If I was going to change the situation 
or get serious about solving the problems instead of just complaining about them, I had to change my attitude. In order to be part of the solution, I had to stop being part of the problem. So I turned to Chris very calmly and I said, I don't want to give any more attention to the problem. I am only interested in solutions. And if you can help me with solutions, awesome. Otherwise, please don't allow me to vent about the problem and don't you complain about the problem. Solutions only from here on out. And I started to take the same approach with all my friends and families when they would call and say like, this is awful, you got screwed. And I would calmly say, I know I've been complaining about this nonstop, but I'm, but I'm moving past that. I'm not interested in the problem anymore. If you want to help me solve the problems, awesome. I'm all yours. But if you just want to like rehash it, talk about it, I can't join you because I only have a finite amount of energy and attention and I'm only giving it to solutions. I decided that I wanted solutions more than I wanted attention and I had to start acting like it. So I called the owner of the manufacturing company and I told him the very same thing. We were both clear on all the problems. What could we do that day, right then, to move forward with solutions? What were our options? How could we make this right? And I said to him, I don't want to be right about what happened and I'm letting go of whose fault it is. I just want to fix it. Now, that wasn't easy because my ego still wanted to prove that I was right, but I had to decide that I wanted solutions more than I wanted to be right, and I knew I had to choose between those two. And when I made that shift, I felt less stressed. I felt more peaceful, and I felt a lot more in control of the situation. And I noticed a change in the builder, too, and the owner of the manufacturing company. He became less defensive, less combative, and he was more willing to participate in solutions when he wasn't on the defensive, me coming at him trying to prove that he was wrong, right? You and I have the ability to do that in every situation that we're in. We always have a choice. We can give our energy to the problem or to the solution. You can give your energy to complaining and justifying and explaining, or you can get to work doing something about it. I can't tell you how many people email me describing the problems in their lives. They're building a case for the problem. They're justifying it. They're explaining it. They're adding in layers of detail and substantiation. They say they're looking for help, but you wouldn't know it in their emails. There's no attention, no energy, no time given to the solution. And if I have a client that I have history with, I'll often email them back and say, I can't find the part in your email about your role in the situation. Can you resend it? I think it got cut off. Now, I'm saying that with lots of love, right? But the point is clear. We can't create solutions until we step beyond the problem. Here's one of the most dangerous parts of giving your energy to the problem. You step out of your power. When I was focused on everything that was wrong with my tiny house, I had no power. I was just a victim. I didn't create the problems. They were already done, right? They happened to me. But in reality, I had a lot of power. I had all the power I needed. I could hire somebody else to fix the problems. I could sue the builder. I could fix the things myself. I could sell the house. Or I could just continue to complain about how unfair it all was. You and me, we are powerless in the problem, but we are powerful in the solution. Let's say you work at a job where your colleagues are always bringing in fast foods and desserts and you work crazy hours and the job is super stressful and there's always food everywhere and you feel like you can't overcome the constant temptation. 
Problem is clear. But you don't have much power when you're focused on it because it's everybody else and what they're doing. You step into your power and into your influence when you focus on the solution because there's so much you can control, even in situations where factors are outside of your control. Like no matter what foods are around you, you're in control of what you put in your mouth, how much and when. No matter what is brought in, no matter how many hours you work, no matter how hungry you are or any other thing else, you are in control of what you put in your mouth, right? And this is a really powerful real world practice. You wouldn't be able to develop the skills you need for resisting temptation or anything else if you worked in a place without temptation. With that perspective, it's not a problem, it's an opportunity. If you are giving energy to the problem, you are stealing energy from the solution, there will always be things you can't control. And there will always be things you can control. Control what you can control. Give your attention to those things. Here's the big one. Break your addiction to talking about problems. Break your addiction to talking about problems. Break the habit of complaining. It's making things harder. It's preventing you from participating in solutions. Now, if you're not sure if you're giving attention and energy to the problems, here are some ways that commonly shows up when we're giving energy to problems. Complaining, talking about past failures, describing how you struggle, explaining the why behind the struggle, gossiping, comparing yourself to other people, stressing about future obstacles. It's really anything that's unrelated to what you're able and willing to do to create any kind of change or improvement. I, I heard about a high school principal who was committed to creating a culture of solution seeking in his school. And when a teacher came to the principal complaining about a student who was rude or disrupting the classroom, the principal was quick to point out that the teacher was merely describing the problem. The principal took seriously his role in helping the teacher focus on creating solutions. It was clear that the teacher understood the problem, but reaching a solution requires participating in the solution, not just understanding the problem. So the principal would ask, what is your role in this problem? That's a really great question, guys. If you're writing things down, what is my role in this problem? What are the possible solutions? What ideas do you have for making a change? What's within your power in terms of making a change. And the message was really clear. Either you're committed to the problem or you're committed to the solution, but don't come to me to argue for a problem, to justify it, to substantiate it, to validate it. Come to me to participate in the solution. And I have similar clients, uh, similar conversations with my clients every day. It's not that I don't care to hear about the problem. It's that progress can only come from taking action to participate in a solution. So when my, prob- my clients present their problems, I often respond and say, so what, now what? And that's my way of saying, okay, I understand, but what are you going to do about it now? The problem is not limiting your solutions. Your attachment to the problem is what's limiting your solutions. Remember, transformation is now. It's in what you do now. The solution isn't a destination. It's not a place you arrive at. Before that, it's a decision. You don't need to wish for it. You need to work for it. Control the controllables. 
I remember a conference leader once quizzing her audience about the difference between being a sports spectator and being a player in the game. And as a group, we brainstormed some of the differences. Spectators are giving instructions to people in the game, right? Throw the ball, throw the ball. Most of their communication is emotional. They blame and they criticize the players, the people that are out there doing the work, while they do none of the work. They're in the stands. They're talking about what's happening, but they're not doing anything about it. They can't impact the outcome, right? If we're talking about spectators, they can't impact the outcome. Players, on the other hand, they're involved. They're in the moment. They're participating. They're doing work. They're not talking about it. They're focused on what they can do now, right? There's no focus on yesterday at practice or tomorrow at practice. They're making moves. They do have the ability to impact the outcome, and so that's where their energy goes, So in your own quest to create change, are you in the stands or are you in the game? The chapter goes on. Actually, you know what? We'll just, it's just a couple more pages. We'll finish it. There's a little subtitle here that says, a problem well put is half solved. It says, this is an acute saying. It's also a powerful instruction. A problem well put is half solved. If you're thinking about or you're sharing your problems with no mention of what you can do to participate in the, situ- in the solutions, you've got work to do. I waste too much time on social media is not a problem well put. It's certainly not health solved. I'm going to stay off Facebook tonight addresses both the problem and the solution. If you want a solution, don't worry about proving the severity of the problem and marinating in your feelings about it. In my own life, I've developed this as a mantra, and this is partly why this was so helpful when I came to it today, when I was feeling over-emotional about my phone call with the storage guy. (laughs) The mantra is, I'm exclusively focused on solutions. When I find myself thinking or talking about how much work I have to do, I remind myself that I am exclusively focused on solutions. Fretting over the workload actually keeps me from creating the solution. What will I do now or next to address the amount of work before me? I'm powerless in the problem. All of my power is in what I do to create the solution. When I find myself thinking or talking about how tired I am, I remind myself that I am exclusively focused on solutions. What am I able and willing to do to increase my energy or prioritize rest? When I find myself thinking or talking about how stressed I am, I remind myself that I am exclusively focused on the solutions. What changes can I make to reduce stress or change my perspective about the stressors? I'm capable of finding, creating, or implementing a solution. So what will that take? How can I do it? And you are capable of finding, creating, or implementing a solution. What will that take? How can you do it? And I want to wrap this up going back to that quote at the beginning, that Rumi quote, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Thanks so much for listening to the Primal Potential Podcast, where our goal is not to help you learn. Our goal is to help you change. This is a year of action. Take something you learned from this episode and put it into action in your life today. To learn more about working more closely with me and the Primal Potential team, please visit primalpotential.com forward slash transform.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.